Running a business isn't all glamour and success stories. You're about to hear from a real founder in the trenches. I'm here to help them find clarity, have a space to get their ideas out in the open, and figure out how they're going to move forward. Welcome to the Talk to Stefan podcast. Today I'm joined by Jason Satiris, who is co-founder of Super T, which then transformed into the CEO of Fair Fight Foundation. Welcome to the Founder Hot Seat. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. It's good to have you here. So, Jason, do you want to give me a quick overview of what the two organizations do and the sort of connection between them? Certainly, certainly. So, I think we'll go way back to me becoming a dad for the very first time. It was a challenge to become parents. Went through the IVF program with my partner and nearly bankrupted us, which thankfully on the second round, we became parents to our eldest daughter, Angela, who is nearly 10. She's nearly 10 years old. But after Angela's first birthday, she went from this energetic, happy, bubbly little bundle of joy to the complete opposite. She became sick. She was lethargic. She didn't want to play. She didn't want to eat. All she wanted to do was take naps and cuddle. Something was up. Eventually, we ended up at the children's hospital where after four days of testing her for everything that they could test her for, they sat us down and told us that she had a rare type of cancer called histiocytosis. That shook me to the core. We didn't expect that to happen as parents. We thought Angela was, uh, by all means, normal. And for this to just happen so quick, I just remember how quick it all happened. And they told us the battle that she has ahead of her. My little girl had tumors all over her little body, and she uh, had quite a fight in front of her. I asked the question that every parent would want to know in that situation, which is, what are the chances of her beating it? And they told me straight. They said, uh, she has a fight in front of her. She's got about a 20% chance of survival. So what started from there was this complete feeling of uselessness. This really rocked me to the core where here I am as this protective providing father that is now made redundant to a degree because I can't help this little girl through her battle. She's reaching out to me, asking for me to take her away from all these scary things that are happening to her. And what followed was three years of trauma, not only for her, but for us as parents. And I wanted to find a way to help her. Now, here I am. I'm At that time, I was running a construction organization that was doing particularly well. I was very much focused on growing that company to being one of the biggest companies in that particular sector and you know, very much focused on big contracts, big dollars, big house, big car, you know, the, the whole the whole nine yards. And now all of a sudden that doesn't matter anymore. All that matters is can I save this little girl and whatever it will take. So I tried my best to find some way just out of sheer desperation of a way that I can help her and noticed how when she was going through chemotherapy, how vulnerable she was to a common cold or a virus contracting some sort of bacteria. Hygiene was very important, but it was extremely difficult to change her when she had all these wires and tubes like these kids have when they're confined to a hospital bed. And again, just out of frustration, I noticed how hard it was, but I 
really wanted out of desperation to make a difference. So I, a light bulb went off in my head one night trying to change Angela after she threw up from the chemotherapy she was given that day. And I thought, you know what, why hasn't someone made something to make it a bit easier for these kids? Now, I've never touched a T-shirt or a garment in my life. You know, I've come from a construction background. But started the process or, or the journey into becoming a, um, a, a garment maker. And I made every mistake you can imagine. I had a lot of help from friends, one friend in particular who came to visit us at the hospital, wanted to find a way to help, and is a business partner of mine. And we just did whatever we could to figure out ways that a garment could operate if we were to revolutionize it or reinvent it in some way. I think the good thing was that we had no prior experience. We had no understanding of the way things worked. We approached it completely new and neutral, but we had a lot of assistance from nurses and families that, that we met during our journey. And in June 2018, I walked into the same hospital that saved my little girl, holding her in one hand and holding what is now called the super tea in the other, which is the new medical garment that we give to sick kids that's disguised as a superhero costume. My son, I'm now a father of three, gave me the idea for the superhero theme. I was looking after him one day, and he's a superhero fanatic. He's got all the costumes, and he comes out of his bedroom dressed up one day, and he spent a lot of time away from his sister as she was going through her treatment, and it was towards the end of her treatment. But he was really afraid that she was going to go away again for a while. He comes out of his bedroom dressed as a superhero, and I'm, you know, lazing about on the couch looking at him watching TV, I say, hey, who are we saving today? And he mentions his sister's name. And in his appearance, he looked like he was serious. He looked like he was going, to me, I had the impression he, in all sincerity, was going to save his sister. But what followed from there was a bit of, I was intrigued to learn more about that. So there is something known as the alter ego effect, which is when a child dresses up in costume they take on that persona. They now have a psychological distance between them and the task at hand. This was something that we, we had to adopt. It was no longer about it becoming a hospital garment. It's now a superhero costume, which I think is very much reflective on the stories that I've been privileged to come across with what these kids have to face every day to just stay alive. And so the Super T was launched as a for-profit, for-purpose company in June 2018, but we learned very quickly that people saw this as a charitable gift that they could give to kids in hospital. So now people were placing orders and, you know, we kept this as a little side gig and I would contact these people that placed orders to ask them, where would you like me to send your super tea? And they would say, just give them out to a child that needs one. So the business sort of said to me that this had to become a charity. And we had trailblazing problems to try and convince the powers that be that this had to become a charity. And in October last year, we got our charity status. And I gave up my role working in construction to jump in this full time because it's so strange that I found my passion out of the worst situation anyone could possibly experience as a parent, seeing their child fight to stay alive. 
the journey has taken a toll on me. I personally feel I've never left the hospital, even though my daughter has, because this has been a journey that started with her in hospital, but with me always returning to help other kids that in my mind, I see my child in that bed. I relate to these parents because of what they go through that I've been through. It's established a community of parents that understand each other. It's now a garment that has made its way nationwide here in Australia. And the intention is to take it worldwide. And so for me, I've had the constant feeling of being outside the comfort zone as well as struggling with anxiety of what I saw my daughter go through and having to face the corporate world uh, head on in a way that I've never been trained for or had to experience. But I've always worn my heart on my sleeve. I've always done my best to do the right thing. And it's always been for the benefit of the kids. That's always been my North Star. So now I find myself as a CEO of a charity, never having worked in a charity before. I have a board of advisors who care deeply about what we do. And we supply these to hospitals nationwide for free, thanks to the kindness and generosity of others. And every day I wake up, the two things on my mind are, who can help me get these to kids for free? And then the second thing is, which hospital do I supply today? Because this has been a bit of a double-edged sword, this, this charity, where it's great to deliver Super T's to a hospital, but they get given out as quickly as they get delivered. So then nurses will get on the phone and call me and say, hey, Jason, do you have any more that you can give me? So it's the whole supply and demand. So throw that in with those feelings of guilt where you have to say no to someone with the anxiety of what you experience seeing your child go through, which hasn't changed because I tell you, you can imagine how I feel as a parent every time my daughter says she has a tummy ache or a headache or goes through my mind. We've become very superstitious. I've been reluctant to allow her the the honor of ringing the um, victory bell that kids with cancer get to ring when they finish treatment out of some sort of fear that it would jinx us. We're afraid to be happy, my wife and I, because we felt that every time we had something to be happy about, there was sadness waiting on the other side, sort of like life saying, hey, hold on there a second, buddy. You know, don't get happy too quick. And then having to navigate the world of being a CEO in a very competitive landscape. There are hundreds and thousands of charities in Australia. COVID has impacted us, but yet we still managed to survive and still managed to grow. I now find myself as a startup CEO for charity, completely reliant on people's generosity and kindness surviving COVID, working ridiculous hours at the sacrifice of time that I should be spending with my family because my kids only grow up once. It's taken a toll on our relationship between my partner and I because she's left to do a lot of the work, which allows me the time to try and grow this and build this. And so I'm, I'm in this never-ending battle of balance that I would imagine a lot of people can understand. And bringing with me all the, the pain and suffering of the past. So 
that Stefan is kind of a picture. I mean, <laughs> not to go too much into it. There's a lot more to it, but I hope you can understand where I'm, the reason why I wanted to come on your show. Um, yeah, truly honored to have you here. I think this is both uh, an incredible story, but equally to anybody that's listening, I'm sure they can hear the challenge that you're you're going through both at this time, but also that journey those years ago and hearing everything that you had to go through with Angela and, you know, her health and to get to this point and how that really then transferred into this wider mission. And, you know, I, I can hear that you're saying that, you know, you, you're working to make lives better for all these other children but yet there's almost still that trigger there because you see yourselves in that situation, you've been there. So every time that you're helping, it's actually reminding you almost of everything that you've been through. Absolutely. Absolutely. I see, I, I get privileged. I would, sometimes it's a blessing and a curse, Stefan. I come across wonderful stories about how kind people can be to kids. But I also come across stories about how evil people can be to kids because our super teas being medical garments they get given to kids from for a range of different reasons you know they they could be given to kids that have been victims of physical and sexual abuse to burns to accidents to facing cancer heart disease you name it so i i come across a wide range of stories and these parents reach out to me because they feel that i can understand because i've been in that situation where you worry immensely for your child, but sometimes it takes a toll on you because your heart can only break so many times. And my concern is that you become desensitized to it, which negates the whole reason of having, having a charity in the first place, doesn't it? So there's a psychosocial element here to consider when someone embarks on a charity, especially about a cause that they're quite passionate about. Because you love the people you help so much that it impacts you so much. But it's also that fire that drives you. It gets you up in the morning to work hard and to keep going and to achieve these magnificent milestones. We've won an Australian Good Design Award, which I still smile about because these are awards given for innovation and, and you know, for being recognized as some, something that someone that has created something good for Australians. And I'm just a tradie. I'm a construction worker <laughs> that has done that, you know. So uh, there's a lot I'm proud about, but there's also a lot of baggage that gets developed with this. So I can hear about this baggage that you're sort of carrying and, and uh, long-term effects that this is having on you. I'm wondering on a sort of right here and right now with what you're focused on with the charity and what you're doing, how is this affecting you right now? So I kind of feel like a, a student placed in a class that they are not academically qualified for. I want you to imagine that if you are not particularly good at maths and you're in a very high level maths class. That's kind of how it feels. I'm trying to understand everything. I wish I paid more attention at school. And I'm engaging with corporates, with these multinational corporations, with these small businesses and a board that is there 
to help guide me, but um, it also takes a toll on them because they don't have to deal. They're not dealing with a, a seasoned CEO. They're dealing with someone that's been thrown into that role, but understands the customer, understands the product very well. If you were to ask me to prepare a cash flow forecast, might need help, help, a helping hand with that, if you can imagine. So that's kind of what I'm feeling at the moment. I feel like I'm navigating through um, woods and not really knowing how to get out of it. Okay. And in terms of other people that are in your space, so other charitable organizations, for instance, ones where maybe they've come through a similar path where somebody's created it out of a personal cause or a cause that they're very close to, how do they sort of deal with it? Interesting question. There are cancer charities out there that you would imagine they get started because of a personal nature. And I think that for someone to take a leap of faith to say, you know what, I, I care about this cause so much that I'm going to invest resources and time and my expertise into developing a charity. You tend to do that with a certain level of competency that you feel you can bring or uh, expertise. With me, I feel it's a little bit different. I created a product and then the product almost told me once it was presented to the market that this has to become a charity. If we were talking back in June 2018 when we launched the product, I would have no idea. I would have laughed at the idea of becoming a CEO for a charity. I would have, nah, me, no way. <laughs> that wouldn't happen. But look, at, look how it's developed. So to answer your question, it always starts with passion. That's the, the reason why you put yourself through the, the fire all the time. I feel I have plenty of that. <laughs> There's no problem there. But I also think that Others have an advantage over me because they have that expertise, but not necessarily the same work ethic I have. It's now 10.30 in the evening here in Sydney as I talk to you, and I'm up early tomorrow for a photo shoot with families. So this is how much I love this charity that we're, we're developing here. So I can really hear that, yeah, you've got that passion for it. And you say, I just want to challenge a point that you say, you say that others have the expertise. Is that a definite in, in all cases? I mean, I wouldn't know intimately the backgrounds of all the founding members of or people that started charities, but usually the high-performing charities in the children's sector, at least, are well-established seasoned CEOs. Okay, so the well-established ones. Tertiary educated, yeah, you name it. Okay, so the well-established ones. And with those, are those people that you can sort of lean on for support and speak to and engage with, or do, they all, do you all tend to remain quite separate, or how, how does that work? True. Um, I do believe that charities should collaborate more. I mean, what's the point of having 50 or 100 cancer charities if they're not working towards the same goal, but you are correct. There is a lot of politics involved in the charity sector because finding donations and fundraising and developing a network or community of supporters, they're quite protective of that. So if you were to expose that to someone else, 
they would be worried that they would lose support. So that's why collaboration within the, the, the charity sector is hard. If you were a charity and I was to approach you and say, hey, let's collaborate, the questions in the back of our mind would be, okay, who's collecting the money for this and whose network is being opened up and are you going to have access to that? So those challenges I tend to see being in the way of collaboration. But um, to answer your question, I see it to be – I mean, there are some projects that are quite successful. I would imagine if they're managed well. They tend to be managed well through third parties. But I don't really see a lot of direct collaboration between charities, to be, to be honest. Okay. And understanding a little bit more, like you were saying earlier about cash flow forecasts, for instance, uh, that's maybe a, a, just an example of an activity that you may have struggled with. I'm just wondering, how have you got through these things so far that when you've looked at them at first, you've thought, oh God, what on earth have I got to do here? I don't know what I'm doing. But then, you know, get through that activity. How, how do you go about doing that? It's a real good and interesting question because um, every single time I've been presented with a mountain of, of a challenge, there's always been someone there at the right time and right place that has been able to help me. And I can't explain it. I, I, I just, I can't explain it, Stefan. It's, it, when I look back at the times I've really thought, hey, I'm, I'm kind of in the shit now. I don't know if we're allowed to swear on your show, but. Um, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, don't encourage me. <laughs> um, but. There's always been someone there, you know, it could be a listener that's listening to this show now that's like, you know, I don't want to help this person. And that person could be the very reason why Super T expands overseas, for instance. It's been a real interesting journey to be part of. Yeah, I can't explain it any other way. It's just, it's because of the help of others that really believe in this. And, and I think that in many ways, from my personal perspective, when a parent reaches out to me because they want to help, I think it's because they see a little bit of me in them. And perhaps, you know, what would they do if they were in my situation? Suffering is something that we're quite, or uh, it, that is one thing we can all agree or, or understand each other on, I think. We all suffer in our own different ways, but the suffering of our children is something that every parent wa- would go to great lengths to try and avoid. And I think that resonates with, with parents. So I, I see that as the reason or motivation for people putting their hand up to help me. And so it sounds like the, um, the challenges that you've had, you've always had somebody there to help in some way, whether it is, you know, an external person, whether it's a parent, whoever it is, somebody's been there to help and support you. Do you think that that will, that will continue? Absolutely. Uh, I really believe that Super T as a charity is very much a charity based on families helping families. I really believe that. I believe that at its core, it's about how one person, no matter how uneducated or you know disadvantaged or whatever level of status, you can make an impact. You can make a difference if you believe in an ideal or uh, something enough you will see that through and i really think that the community that we've been able to develop is the proof of that 
because within that community is where I seek my help. Interesting. So when you're saying that there, you're saying that you really see the community as being supportive of that way. Do you believe that in yourself and in that that you'll be able to see it through by the support of the community? I can hear that you're almost saying that everybody else will see that way. And I'm just wondering, do you feel that applies to you too? I ask myself questions like this all the time, such as, you know, Am I the right person for this job? Am I standing in the way of Super T success? If there was someone else out there more qualified, would they have gone further than I have taken it? I don't know the answers to those questions, but I also know that people believe in me and people believe in what I'm trying to do here and they see the cause and the vision that we're trying to build. Yeah, I I often wonder... I don't want to be a person that always leans on them. I kind of want to do my, I want to prove not only to them, but to myself that I'm capable of doing this. I like to see myself in, in years to come that I've developed into a good CEO just through trial and error and experience, I think. But I think the other thing as well, something that one of my board members said, which always stayed with me, you can get someone that's highly qualified but not passionate. And you can get someone that's passionate but not necessarily qualified. Now, what would be harder to teach? Can you make someone passionate or can you teach someone how to do a cash flow forecast? Mm. And and how does that sit with you when you think about that? Yeah, I've got a mate. Every day I'm studying. I I think I've got learning fatigue a bit. <laughs> you know, you know, Stefan. You know you're busy and you know you're doing something that you enjoy and that you love when sleep becomes an inconvenience. Hmm. And is that how you're feeling now? Oh, I wish there were more hours in the day. There's just so much more I want to accomplish. There's just so much more I can do. So, so much more I should be doing, but so I'm 41 years old and I've only got, you know, so much energy left, you know, and those life bars that you would see on video games, for instance. So yeah, there's that aspect to consider. I'm not, I'm not, um, not a spring chicken. <laughs> I have to manage my time and energy wisely now. That, that makes sense. I want to just pick up on a point that you said before about you want to prove to yourself that you're capable. That sounds like a sort of end point, i.e. there's this point at which you've, you've suddenly hit being capable. Yes. I'm just wondering what does capable mean to you? For me personally, I've set out on a task to grow Super T to become the go-to gift for a loved one in hospital. The future of Super T, I think, doesn't stop at just superheroes. I see it expanding into different themes, you know, sporting different ways that people can experience a costume and makes a difference for them. Adolescents and adults, it pains me often when I get a message saying, hey, can you make one for my dad who's going through an ordeal or you know, children that outgrow it, but they still have their battles to face because we only cater for one-year-olds, 12-year-olds at the moment. So I see this replacing the traditional hospital gown. I see this being the go-to gift for any loved one in hospital. 
and I see this becoming a, a worldwide product that people can believe and trust in because I think the charity sector has lost a lot of trust in people. And I, I've learned that with just speaking to people, you know, whether it's fundraising, shaking a bucket on the street or something. So for me, I, I have to take this into becoming a worldwide product. A few reasons behind that is I think personally, I recognize that this is an outlet for me. This is a way that I deal with perhaps a little bit of PTSD or anxiety that was developed during Angela's stay in hospital. Feeling so useless and helpless during that time, maybe this is my way of feeling like I can do something now. And it kind of makes sense when I think about it because. The reason why I think I get triggered so much when I hear parents share their stories, especially when we lose a child, you know, in our community, when the parents, uh, you, you get to know them, you get to meet them, you get to see their progress. They share with you messages, they share with you milestones. And then just out of the blue at 11 o'clock at night, you'll get a message saying, hey, Jason, just wanted to let you know our little one drifted off and gain their wings and, and, and a hip to you it impacts you because you've got to meet this child. You've got to meet these parents and you see that. And you, that was your greatest fear that you were afraid of happening to your child. And I, you can't do anything about it, but at least with this, I can do something. I can, you know, it's not, I know it's not a drug. I know it's not like some groundbreaking medical device. Maybe it's a little bit more than a shirt, though. You know what I mean? So, yeah, it's, it's changing the experience that the child has when they're going through this difficult time, bringing joy to them. In terms of, I, I hear that you've got these aspirations and where you want to be with this. I'm just wondering, how do you view where you are at the moment? Do you ever take time to sort of reflect on where you've, where you've come from and where you've got to? Good question. And the answer to that question is yes. It's hard when you come out with something that is new to know or compare it to anything else. Like there are, there are other hospital gowns out there that operate different and similar that are out there that are you know, trying to make a, a similar impact that we are, are making. But for my perspective, I suppose. My mission is to have a super tea available for every time a child is given bad news. I would love to be in a position where I have a problem of trying to find hospitals to give super teas to because they have so many. But we're not even scratching the surface yet of the number of kids we could help. So I'm proud of how far we've come. I'm proud to, to, to know that we've launched the product where it took more than two years to try and make it, wasting so much money, being taken advantage of, ripped off, making so many failed prototypes to then bring it to market and then to realize that this has to become a charity to then become a charity and realize that the next step is now to find a big corporate partner who can help us continually deliver these on a regular basis to children. And then once that's done, to then expand that overseas and replicate the model and all the lessons that we've learned here. I guess to answer that question, Stefan, I wouldn't change it any other way because 
my failures have taught me lessons that if I didn't come across them, I wouldn't have had the opportunity to avoid them or recognize them when they were presented to me again in the future. So I don't have a metric. I don't have a measurement of, I don't have a number. All I can say is I would notice it once we start getting feedback from people saying, hey, we've got enough super teas now. Thank you. Mm. Just following on from that point of reflection there, I'm just wondering in terms of credit, do you, do you feel that you give yourself credit for what you have achieved today? It's kind of hoping you weren't going to ask that question. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I tell you the reason why. This story has gained a bit of media attention. It, it does throw you into, you know, situations where you kind of worried that you don't give off the wrong impression to people. And what I mean by that is it, it's never been about me. It's not about me as a person. It's about these kids. It's about the reason why someone, whether it was me or anyone else, wanted to make a difference is because these kids deserve the best care that there is. And I'm worried that if I make it about me, that it starts to lose that that element to it. Because, yes, okay, I, I see myself as a father who's just had a crack at trying to do something, and it turned out to be something that worked. But that, that could also be used to fun, you know? So do I give myself credit? I'm very proud of, of what I've accomplished. I'm very proud of how far I've come. I'm very proud that of the scars that I've been able to accumulate and, and you know, carry with me. But I, I also think that I could be so much better. I think I can also be doing so much more. So I don't want to reach a place of complacency. I think it's that never-ending struggle to always do better and climb a mountain and reach that mountain top in that awesome view at the, at the top. I don't, I don't know if you're picking up what I'm putting down here, but um, yeah, if I was giving myself credit, I'm not satisfied yet. Can those two things exist together in that you've still got that growth mindset and there's so much more that you want to achieve and where you want to get to, but at the same time, you acknowledge the work that you have done and the you that has gone through this journey at the center of this journey, whether it's the difficult times with your family and it's the same you that's got through those that has now got through starting this business, which has then got through starting this charity can those two exist, that hunger for keep going, but at the same time acknowledging what you have done and have achieved? If you were to ask me now, are you ready to write a book? I'm not. <laughs> mm. I don't think I've accomplished enough. I don't think I've warranted that. I don't think I am. I, I don't see myself as someone that is worthy to be invited to come and talk on a, a big stage with big names. I'm. Not nowhere near that that level, and maybe maybe it's not that great of a story. Maybe okay. There's a dad that reinvented the hospital gown. So what? Maybe you're right. Maybe I've got to do away with a little bit of this 
constant need for humbleness because I'm worried about getting a big head or making it about me or becoming egocentric or maybe losing sight on what's important here. Maybe that's a way I keep myself in check. Maybe I don't, I, it's a defense mechanism, perhaps. I don't, I don't know. How do you see with others that you speak to? How do they manage it? I think that this is a really a common thought in terms of feeling like you're, what you're doing is not good enough, that there's not enough, that you don't know how to do this. And bear in mind that most of the people that I speak to are in sort of the startup and founder world. And they're going on these journeys and they don't feel like they know what to do or how to do it. But that's part of the growth and part of the journey that they're on. And I think that what I'm particularly getting at here is I'm just wondering how much you credit yourself, not because you need to be in the public eye and it needs to be about you, but finding the self-acceptance and acknowledging yourself in terms of what you have achieved and what you have done and the impact you've had. And it's not that you know, that takes away from the work or that you need to go and shout about it. But just from a self-confidence point of view, noticing what you have got through and the, the years that have passed by and all that you have actually managed to get through and you're still here and you're still telling the tale and you're still achieving and working on this. Well, I think we were very lucky to, to have Angela in our lives. I, I think we're very lucky, but I also know that it rocked me as a man, mm. seeing what she went through, feeling so useless and helpless. It affected me so much. It got to the point where I felt so, I felt so worthless as a man because it felt like there was a bully inside of my little girl hiding like a coward inside and I couldn't get to it. That's kind of how it felt. And it was my job. To protect this girl. It's my job. That's my daughter. She's my responsibility. And I think I haven't got over that. I don't think I've, I ever have. Because like I said, I don't think I've ever left the hospital. Because we mm. went from seeing Angela finish her treatment, but with me going back now because of Super Team, substituting perhaps Angela's battles for all these other kids. So I don't think I've ever left the hospital, Stefan, and I don't think I've ever got to a stage where I felt useful and empowered, even though it's ironic that what I do every day is to try and empower kids. Hmm. Isn't that strange? I've never really considered that, that that much. Do you think that's you channeling your feelings in this in this way yeah perhaps maybe the super tea is just an extension of my insecurities so so desperately wanting mm. to to come out maybe in in a way or to resolve something i should be laying down on a couch for these sort of questions i think <laughs> i don't know <laughs> you will be afterwards don't worry <laughs> It will certainly wipe you out for the evening. I'm sure you'll sleep well. <laughs> <laughs> I'll stay up all night and be uh, like, yeah, maybe he is right, baby. <laughs> Can I come on again? On <laughs> Can I come on the show again? <laughs> of course, of course. I think that's a really good point for us to wrap up. Just before we do, the one thing that I'd love to know is you've talked about sort of the the challenges that you have here. I'm wondering 
what sort of support do you have, whether it's formal support, things that you do to allow you to sort of just step down for a moment, take a breather because of the very sort of intense and emotional nature of the work that you do? You mentioned that you work with a lot of startups, so I would imagine that those that are listening are also people in startups, so they'll probably appreciate what I'm going to say now. When you're not working, you feel guilty because you feel like you're squandering time, precious time that you should be using to create, develop, build, work on, improve. And when you sit down and you finish the series of Netflix shows and at the end you have that empty feeling like, I should have done something else. That was a complete waste of time, maybe. Or maybe it's from playing video games. So I think for me, do I have an outlet? Well, I think Super Tea is my hobby. I think Super Tea is my, you know, my, my passion to the point that I wouldn't want to be anywhere else than this because I love it so much and I see the good in it. And I think it's the best and most honorable thing that I can do as a person on this, as a contribution to, to this world. This is the highest good that I can do. And I don't want to do anything else. So apart from that and spending time with my kids, I've got no social life. I don't have many friends. I haven't got any other weird hobbies. I don't collect Lego or spoons or coins or something like that, although I wish I had the time for. Yeah, it's, this is super tease my life, man. And I think that when you look at other startups, uh, I mean, other companies that have done well, I would imagine that they've been the same where they've become so devoted in a perhaps a, a bit of an unhealthy way because to make that happen, you've got to dedicate so much to it. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Well, I can certainly hear the passion that you've got for it and the amount of time and energy and effort that you're putting into really making a change. I think that many people who hear this will find it highly inspirational what you're doing. And yeah, just the fact that you're trying to make the lives of these children so much better is is hugely admirable. If people want to find out more online about you and the work that you're doing, where can they where can they find either you or Super C or Yep. Yep, we're on Facebook. If you guys are listening out there and you're in startup world, you should be on LinkedIn <laughs> uh, as well. So find me on LinkedIn. But we're on Facebook, Instagram. Just check out Super T, Super as in Superman T E. And our website is superT.org.au. Excellent. Well, thanks so much for joining me on this show. Goodbye. Appreciate it, Stefan. Thank you. There you have it. Thanks for listening. You'll find me at talkstefan.com or at talkstefan on Twitter. Drop me a message if you're interested in either being a guest on the podcast or working together. Take care for now.